I hope that you will turn with me in a Bible to the Gospel of Mark, the second Gospel, Mark chapter 12. And our focus today will be on verses 13 to 17. For anyone who was hoping that the level of our political discourse following the 2020 elections might improve, I'm afraid you're sorely disappointed. For anyone that was hoping that maybe, maybe we could tone down the rhetoric just a little bit, I'm afraid you're sorely disappointed. We are living in a politically charged environment. And it raises a host of questions for Christians. How are we to live in the midst of these times? We can't get out of the world. We are in the world. We are in this country. We have a civic responsibility to care, to be informed, to vote. I think we could all admit that when you get really obsessed with politics, it's not a blessing. It takes a toll on you, right? It just exhausts you. So what do we do? How can we be the church? How can we be God's people in these times, in this place? What does that look like? That's what we are focusing on. And the good news is this. These times are not really unique. Our Lord Jesus lived in politically charged times, and he shows us a way through the wilderness. So let's read together, beginning at verse 13, Mark 12, verse 13. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, teacher, We know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. So I need to give you some background, some political and historical background on what's happening in this scene to understand just how volatile this situation is for Jesus and how many ways he could possibly go wrong in responding to their question. And I know many of you are going to think this is completely irrelevant. I don't like history. I hear you. 
Bear with me, and I will bring it back to 2021. Trust me. So here's the situation. For decades, Judea was governed by a man named Herod the Great. And while he wasn't really a practicing Jew, he at least gave lip service and privilege to the Jewish faith. And he even built a temple, the same temple that Jesus walked through and around. But when he died, his kingdom was thrown into turmoil because his sons, those who inherited the throne, someone in particular named Herod Archelaus, did not measure up to his father's abilities. And so it became a mess. He was incompetent, grossly incompetent. And so the Jewish people appealed to Caesar, at that time Caesar Augustus, also known as Octavian. And they said, this guy cannot govern. We need help. So Caesar obliged and brought Judea into more direct Roman administration and got Herod Archelaus out of there. Well, this change in administration came with a cost because in exchange for Caesar's help, Caesar's roads, Caesar's troops, and order, and law, you have to pay up. Taxes. Taxes. And so, from the year 6 AD and forward until now, when we're reading this, around the year 30 AD, the Jewish people were subjected to Roman taxation. And when they first instituted that taxation, it did not go well, and there was a rebellion led by a man named Judas of Galilee. Many Jewish people lost their lives. Many were crucified to show the Jewish people that Rome would not tolerate that kind of dissent. And so it became a hot-button issue in Judea. What about these taxes? Should we pay them or shouldn't we? And to really understand the problem, we need to know it's not just about the burden of having to pay money. It's also about what image was stamped on the coinage. And on a denarius, the, the coin that Jesus requests, there's an image of Caesar himself. By this time, the Caesar was Tiberius Caesar, the adopted son of Augustus. And on that coin, Tiberius Caesar was hailed as the divine Caesar. And on the reverse side of the coin, he was hailed as a high priest. And so for the Jewish people, not only is it a burden to have to pay the tax, they're worried that they're guilty of idolatry. Because after all, they believe there is one God and one God only. And so if they're participating in this economy, they're worried that they may be complicit in idolatry. Are we sharing in emperor worship? Surely this isn't right. And so around this issue, we have various factions being delineated. We have the Pharisees. The Pharisees represented the largest political party at this time. And the Pharisees, by and large, were advocates against paying the imperial tax because they saw it as idolatry. 
The Pharisees wanted purity in Israel according to the Scriptures. And so they would say, we've got to disentangle our people from idolatry. On the other hand, you have the Herodians, who derive their name, of course, from Herod's dynasty. And so these are people who, by and large, are cozy with the Romans. These are people who are hoping, at some point, maybe someone from Herod's family will be restored to the throne of Israel. And so what you have here are two parties who are diametrically opposed to one another, joining together to confront Jesus. Strange bedfellows, to be sure. But what they have in common is that they don't like Jesus. And they don't like the appeal that he's having with the people. And so they bring this question to him. And they try to butter him up with some flattery. Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You don't pay attention to who the person is. You shoot straight, in other words. Which is ironic when you think about what they're trying to do. They're, they're using flattery to show that he's not a flatterer. right? And they don't really want to know what he thinks. Really, they want to put him on the spot. They want to frame the issue so that there's no safe way to answer. Because if Jesus says, no, you should not pay the imperial tax, well then, he is guilty of sedition against Rome. And so his enemies can go to the Roman administrators and say, this man is leading sedition and rebellion against Rome, which is in fact what they charged him of when Jesus was crucified. But if he says, yes, you should pay the imperial tax, well, then they have him as well because then they say, look, he's guilty of sedition against God. He's complicit in this idolatry. A volatile, volatile situation. And to help you grasp just how volatile it is, I'm going to reach for a contemporary parallel. This might be something like various people and factions in the United States, on the left and the right, coming to Jesus and saying, should we teach critical race theory in our schools or not? Should we teach it or not? Is it right or is it wrong? Critical race theory. This is all over the headlines. And it's black and white. And if you say in any sense that critical race theory has some validity in it to help us analyze our painful and ugly history of racism in this country, well then, you're a Marxist and you hate America. Oh, but if you question critical race theory, if you say maybe there are some assumptions about it that are dangerous and that we should not be applying, well then, you're just an out-and-out -out racist. You can't win. The way the issues are framed, there's no way to win. And that's the same thing that they did to Jesus. Jesus, it's black and white. Should we pay or should we not? And so what does Jesus do? Jesus shows us what I'm going to call the Christian's balancing act. How we are to live in the world and yet not be one with the world not of the world. And it comes down to 
prioritization. It comes down to knowing how to structure your politics. And there's no avoiding politics, by the way. We may think, well, this is an area, this is a space that's immune from politics. No, it's not. No, it's not. We worship King Jesus. That statement is a political claim. To say Jesus is Lord of all is to say there is no realm of life, there is no sphere of existence that is outside of his reign and dominion. It is all God's. And so we can't avoid politics. So how do we engage in it? How do we keep our priorities straight? How do we not get sucked in to the trap of the Pharisees and the Herodians of our day who want to catch us in our words? It comes down to remembering this truth. Strive to ensure that your passion for secondary political questions never outweighs your passion for the preeminent political question. The preeminent political question. Are you giving King Jesus the very best of your time, of your energy, and of your affections, or not? We cannot get ensnared in secondary political matters. There is one preeminent political question, and it must be answered by every single one of us. Are you giving King Jesus the very best of your time, of your energy, and of your affections? Be honest. What do you spend more time talking about? What do you spend more time thinking about? What are you most passionate about? And I'm afraid that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, in too many cases, is guilty of showing more passion about political causes, secondary political issues, than we are about the glory of God. We get more passionate talking about this party, this issue, this candidate, than we do about the greatness and the goodness of the everlasting God and the preeminent glory of His Son, Jesus. So how do we get our priorities straight? How do we avoid getting caught and ensnared? Let's unpack Jesus' answer here. Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Prioritize the spiritual over the material. Prioritize the spiritual over the material. The Pharisees and the Rhodians are obsessed with this question. What do we do about this? And they're focused on this money. So Jesus says, okay, go get a coin. Evidently, Jesus doesn't have one on his person. But in getting them to retrieve a coin for him, he indirectly shows 
that they're already complicit in this economy. They have the coin on them with the image and likeness of Caesar himself. And he says, whose image is that? Look at it. Tell me. Caesar. Well, then give it back to Caesar. That's his. Caesar is over the material realm. But the priority is the spiritual realm. God has designed you and designed me to be spiritual creatures. You and I have spiritual longings, spiritual cravings, a desire to be loved, to be accepted, to have purpose, to have meaning, to know peace, to be in community with other human beings. God has given you that desire. But it is the nature of our idolatry to try to satisfy those spiritual cravings and longings with material things. To substitute the creation for the creator. And we are all guilty of this, every single one of us. By virtue of being a human being in this fallen world, we are just like our ancestors. We're all prone to worship creation instead of the creator. But what we need is to have our spiritual cravings met by the Lord God Almighty. He alone can satisfy the desires of your heart, your life. Are you looking to Him to do that? But I'm afraid we put the material first. Just think about your morning routine. What's the first thing you do in the morning? Well, get some coffee. We all need some coffee. Nothing wrong with that. We have bodily needs. God's made us bodily creatures. Get some breakfast. It's good. That's right. What do you think about? Think about your agenda for the day, what you have to get done. What do you read? News? Start scrolling emails? Check some websites? If you're a dinosaur like me, actually read a printed newspaper? What, what do you do in the morning? How do you spend that best time first thing in the morning when your mind is uncluttered by the distractions of the day? What do you do? I'm afraid so many of us give the very best of the first of the day to something material. We catch up with what's going on social media. We read the news. Who's done what? What have they said now? And right from that moment, Right from that moment, you and I have surrendered to the material, and it will never satisfy what your heart needs. Consider the Lord Jesus, tempted in the wilderness by Satan. He's hungry. He's been fasting. Satan says, you're the son of God. Just turn those stones into bread. And what does Jesus do? He quotes scripture to say, man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I challenge you, give 
the first of your day to the Lord. Read a psalm. Pray. Lift up your worries to Him. No, you can't spend the entire day reading the Bible or saying prayers. But, you can give the best to Him. Strive to cultivate and kindle that passion for His glory, for His goodness, for His greatness in your heart, starting first thing in the day. Prioritize the spiritual. Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And then Jesus shows us that we are to prioritize the eternal over the temporal. Prioritize the eternal over the temporal. I fear that so often today we don't emphasize the and in this sentence. The and. We know all about Caesar and the goings-on of Caesar. We know what this administration has done. We know who we would prefer to be in the White House, maybe. We know all the goings-on. We know about giving back to Caesar what is Caesar's, but it's the and. And to God what is God's. Caesar's come and go. The occupant of the White House changes Congress changes. All forms of civil government change. Sometimes they do a better job than others. But that's all temporal. To what extent do you prepare your heart and your mind and your life for the eternal? But by and large, we live in a society and a time when people just don't believe in the eternal. And if they do... They don't really care about it because we probably all go to the same place in the end. Oh no. You and I cannot afford to put the temporal ahead of the eternal. We can't afford to put our plans, our questions, our priorities ahead of what God has defined as the priority. There is an eternity that awaits every single one of us. And so I challenge you to ask, what percentage of your day, if any, are you devoting to preparing for eternity? Did you realize that the God who brought this world into existence the God who governs this world by his providence, the God who will bring this world to its rightful conclusion, has spoken to us in a book, in human language. And it can be translated so that you can understand it and I can understand it. And yet, how often do we read it? How often do we just assume, well, I've read that before, or I... I think I already gleaned the best parts of that. <laughs> it may be that in your own life, maybe you need to take a fast. A fast from social media, a fast from news. I promise the world won't fall apart if you do. 
the sky won't fall. Take a break. Disengage yourself and your heart and your mind from the noise. It's not blessing you. It's not doing you any spiritual good. Dislodge yourself. Take a fast to prioritize prayer and the reading of God's Word and see if you don't feel better. See if it doesn't do you some spiritual good. Just try it. Let me know how it goes. Prioritize the eternal over the temporal. Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. Sometimes it's Augustus. Sometimes it's Tiberius. And to God what is God's. Prioritize the total over the partial. The total over the partial. Jesus says, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Well, where does Caesar reign? Well, over the Roman Empire. It's partial. And so is, is it the case that that's Caesar's and, and then everything else is God's? Of course not. It's all God's. Get the balance right. It's all God's. And the clearest statement of this is found in Romans 13, verse 6. Paul says, This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. God has established civil authority distinct from his church. And it is good and right for all of us that he has done so. And you take even the most tyrannical government there is, and even that government is capable of restraining evil. Chaos and anarchy is worse even than tyranny, believe it or not. And so God has established civil authority to restrain evil, to protect liberty and human rights and justice for all. And God has given to Caesar, he has given to civil authorities, the ability and the right to use violence if necessary to enforce it. But not so with the church. God has established the church to proclaim that the spiritual takes priority over the material to proclaim that eternity and the eternal takes priority over the temporal. To say Caesar's reign is only partial. There is a God who is sovereign over all. It all belongs to Him. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness therein. So are you living like it is all God's or not? Consider the fact that Jesus says, what is God's? He's, he's contrasting a coin with an image of Caesar on it. But do you realize there's an image imprinted on every single person in this room? And what is it? It's the image of God. 
Yes, it is marred by sin. No, it does not perfectly reflect God's goodness and greatness. But every single person in this room, every single human being is worthy of dignity and respect, worthy of being loved as a neighbor because of the inherent worth given by God. So what is God's? You. Your heart. Your soul. Your mind. Your strength. Don't sell yourself short by giving the very best of who you are, the very best of your time and your energy and your affections, your love, to the media or to a candidate or to a platform. We are living in a time and a place where there is an outrage machine. An outrage machine in the media. And they're not really interested in having an honest, good faith debate about the issues. They want to stoke outrage. And how often do we allow them to do that? They get us all worked up, and stirred up, and fired up. And so we think that what happens in the political realm, what Caesar is doing, is the most relevant thing that's happening in our life. No, it's not. No, it's not. What is most relevant, what is most urgent in your life is you before God. And are you ready to stand before the judgment seat of Christ or not? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. This is the Christian's balancing act. Get the balance right. Don't let anything else, no matter how passionate you are about it, no matter how pressing it may seem, don't let it outweigh the surpassing worth of the preeminent political question. Who is King Jesus to you? And I'm afraid so often Christians and the church and the public square, when, when we get so entangled with a particular issue, we're not telling people, hey, your opinion about that or how you vote on that or what you say about that candidate isn't going to determine where you spend eternity. But what you say about the Lord Jesus Christ will prioritize the spiritual, prioritize the eternal. We're living in a day and time where people don't believe in the eternal. And the church preachers of all people have got to remind people of eternity. It awaits every single one of us. Give God your best. And prioritize the personal over the impersonal. In the outrage machine, in the media, when we give our hearts, we give our time, we give our attention to talking heads, to pundits, to gurus about various things, we're giving our hearts and our lives to someone who doesn't know us who's not invested in our lives. And, and this is the great irony of social media. We're living in this time where, where people feel so isolated and, and they're so hungry for socialization. And so they turn to social media. And so they're scrolling through social media, trying to find authentic community. And in the end, it's fool's gold. 
because it can't deliver what we really need. Now, I'm not saying get off social media. I'm not saying that it's all bad. There are good things that it can do. But I'm just saying that if you're looking for social media to satisfy the longings of your heart, you're going to be very disappointed because it can't. It can't. Prioritize the personal over the impersonal. The personal, ultimately, is the God who loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son so that whoever believes in him might have everlasting life and not perish. He wants to have a relationship with you. And your heart and your life will never be satisfied until you are living in dependence upon him. Human beings were not created to be autonomous, to be independent. We can't. We can't function that way. We need God. So are you giving God the very best of your time, your energy, and your affections, or not? May this be a wake-up call, a challenge to all of us. Yes, vote. Yes, be engaged. Yes, be informed. Yes, know what Caesar is up to. Hold Caesar accountable for liberty and justice for all. Yes, but give God your best. He is a personal God, and He has made it possible for sinners like you and like me, idolaters, people who day in and day out worship creation instead of the Creator. He's made it possible for us to be saved. And what you need and what I need more than anything else is not happiness, it's not contentment, it's not community. It's for God to bring us back to Himself. And He sent the Lord Jesus Christ to shed His precious blood on the cross to pay the debt that you can't pay and that I can't pay. So that now, no one can earn their way to God, but no one is too lost for God to save because of what Jesus has done. So what do you say about Him? You say, oh, I've been in the church my whole life. Of course, he's Lord. I, I got baptized. He's Savior and Lord. I, I know that. I know that. Okay, you know it here. But do you know it in your heart? And are you living like you know it? Is there enough evidence of Jesus in your life to convict you or not? What are you most passionate about? What gets you fired up? Does talking about Jesus do anything for you? Or it's same old, same old. Of course, he's the greatest. Now let's talk about the real stuff. Let's talk about where the rubber hits the road. What's really relevant. No, there is nothing more relevant than what you have to say about King Jesus. That is the preeminent political question. And each of us must have an answer. What is your answer? God has done everything possible for you to know him, to have a personal relationship with him, to be in communion with him. To greet him in the morning. To seek him when you are lost and overwhelmed. To turn to him in your trials. To dedicate the whole of your life to him. To repent, to seek his forgiveness when you fall short. 
He's Lord of all. Are you aware of His presence when you're at work, when you're at school, when you're in the public square? Or is your Christian faith merely impersonal? Yeah, you come to church. You sit in the pew. You, you listen. You open your Bible. You sing the songs. But do you know Him? Christianity is a personal faith. And there is no salvation apart from a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that today, if you don't have one or you're not sure, that the Holy Spirit would work in your heart and your life so that you are sure Jesus saves sinners. And I know that because He saved me. May God give you that assurance. May He equip you and equip me to be His people, to be salt, to be light, to reflect what truly matters in this world. And may He protect us from getting sucked in to all kinds of secondary matters that won't matter in eternity. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we confess that we are guilty of giving to Caesar whatever his or her name might be, what rightfully belongs to you. Lord, I pray by your grace and by the work of your Holy Spirit in us now, you would convict us of that failure. That you would convict us of our failure to prioritize, our failure to strike the right balance. Lord, set us right Show us what you have done for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, may we never look for salvation or fulfillment or peace in anyone else or in anything else. But instead, may you be our all in all. And we pray that as we seek to live in obedience to you, as we seek to answer that preeminent political question of who is King Jesus to us, Lord, I pray that you would empower us to be different in this world, to speak differently, to live differently, to be people marked by holiness and truth and grace. We can't do it on our own. We can't do it by our own ingenuity, our own willpower. God, we need you. We confess our total dependence upon you. Lord, strengthen us. Give us courage for the living of these days. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.